Rachel, thank you so much for coming. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Where, where have you come from today? Where's the office been? So our office is based in Towerbridge Road. So a few stops on the Northern Line. Okay. And um, yeah, Great. so I work for London City Mission. London City Mission. And what do you do there? So I'm part of the leadership team. Uh, we've got a small head office team, 180 staff. And uh, most of our staff are out in... Uh, London, in the poorest, most marginalised areas, working alongside churches um, okay. to help take the good news of Jesus uh, to people who've not yet heard. Great. So the vision of London City Mission is, is precisely that, is it? Yes. Yeah. Great. <laughs> good. good. <laughs> we'll oh. get a bit more to okay, that. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, and what, what is it you love about working for LCM? So I love um, that LCM is a really diverse organisation. So we've got Christians who work for us from all kinds of different evangelical backgrounds. Um, we've got people who are conservative reform, people who are Pentecostal, people who are sort of middle-of-the-road evangelicals, all kinds of different people, but we are united in the gospel. And that is something that I think is just brilliant. Mm, great. Well, we're so looking forward to hearing you this evening thank you so much for coming um, as usual there'll be questions and answers so Rachel will chat for well who knows how long 40 minutes or so I guess and then there's Q&A after that so if you've got any questions there'll be a mic coming around a, a bit later on after the talk but there's, a, there's some QR codes as well you can, you can type them in if, if you'd rather type your questions in there and we'll get to some of those a bit later on alright great when your so hands much. looking forward to it I'll put your water down here thank you thanks Ed and thank you so much for such a warm welcome and that beautiful worship. Uh, it's a real privilege to be here. I'm going to start by telling you about what happened to me one Sunday. And one Sunday, I went to church. I wasn't in a great place. I was filled with self-pity and spiritually very stuck. I noticed an elderly lady who I'd seen before. She was so old. She had wrinkles deeply etched across her face and she had several small children with her. This particular day, I was really struck by her obvious joy as she worshipped the Lord and she danced stiffly due to her advanced age but with her arms raised a couple of the children she had with her were clapping along with her as she swayed to the music in praise of her God. I felt the Lord in his grace um, break through some of my self-absorption that day and speak very simply to my heart. Give her some money, God said. I found her afterwards. I pressed a note into her hand and she started weeping. I wasn't sure if I'd done something wrong, if I'd caused offence. But then I was told by a mutual friend that she and her grandchildren hadn't eaten any food for the past three days. I felt my self-centeredness demolish, humbled by the wealth of her relationship with God. To worship as she had done without eating for three days, I knew that she had a depth of faith in God that I simply didn't. James 2 verse 5, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world 
to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. This lady called Shosho Wairimu was one of the poorest people on our planet. And I had the privilege to live amongst and learn from them for almost six years in rural Kenya. Before we start speaking about poverty today, we must recognize that the majority of the global church throughout history and today have been very similar to that lady. Economically impoverished and not middle class. The Western church today is very different from most of our brothers and sisters elsewhere in the world. We are an aberration. Maybe as I told that story, you realized towards the end the context was Kenyan, and maybe a thought, oh, I see, that explains it, goes through your mind. But I'd like us to challenge ourselves, because really, for us as Christians, why should that make any difference whatsoever? All people are made in God's image and equally precious in his sight. The World Bank recently reported that at the end of 2022, as many as 685 million people, nearly 9% of the world, are living in extreme poverty, surviving off less than two pounds per person per day. The World Inequality Report in 2020 found that the richest 10% of the population now takes 52% of global income and the poorest half just 8%. To get into the richest 10%, it's easier than you might think. You need to be earning around £100,000. If you've never read the Bible cover to cover, um, I'd really recommend doing it a few times if you can. I'm sure many of you have done. One of the key themes that just shouts out from the pages is just the sheer volume of content that overwhelms you with God's heart for those in poverty. One aspect I love about the Bible is that there is a clear bias towards people in poverty and some of the most inspirational stories of incredible generosity and hospitality, Elijah and the widow, come from those on the margins and from those experiencing severe poverty rather than the wealthy. We'll look at some of these verses, but the volume and the consistency speaks of God's heart like a pulse beating. It isn't possible to genuinely look at the life of Jesus and the Bible as a whole and think that you can faithfully follow Christ without giving some attention to this. There's an abundance of Bible passages to look at. However, let's look at some of the words of Jesus. Luke 12, verse 32 to 34. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's also visit the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 29. 
On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So we asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm sure you will know it. I heard my colleague at London City Mission, Jason Roach, preach on this parable a while ago. He highlighted that this parable was told in response to a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This stunned me. I had read this so many times, but had never seen this before. This parable was told in answer to a question about salvation. Shortly after when a friend of mine needed someone to host a Ukrainian family that she couldn't keep hosting, I knew the Lord was speaking to me. And initially it felt overwhelming. But they've lived with me since May last year and it's been a huge privilege to see their resilience and courage. It has stretched us enormously and in doing so, they have been a wonderful blessing to me and my family. Because when we understand that ultimately we are massively blessed by aligning our lives with God's heart, it stretches our frame of thinking. In these situations, we are the ones honoured to be receiving. We are the ones experiencing eternal life. And this brings me to the challenge of some of our ministry to people experiencing poverty. A few years after I moved to Kenya, Facebook and YouTube became mainstream. I'm just looking around the room guessing how many people can remember that. Um, But not long after this, a group of British teenagers randomly appeared in our village to help build an extra classroom on the school. Work local people badly needed. Taking selfies with local children as a badge of goodness to share on social media. And encouragement from Philippians comes to mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's not wrong to take photos. It's not wrong to help schools. But let's check our motivations. When we engage with people in poverty, are we using them to make ourselves feel good? If God uses us to make a difference, let's remember the glory is his, And we are only involved by his grace. We are all prone to pride. We need the Holy Spirit at work. Let's approach our service with humility and not ego. God sees our hearts and we all need a saviour. In coming alongside people in poverty, our focus needs to be on serving them, loving them, and in doing so, loving God. 
That's why at London City Mission, we want to elevate the voices of the people we serve. It's not always possible and it is harder, but wherever we can, we avoid talking about people and instead give them a platform to share their own experiences. When we do talk about ministry, it might be good to use the language of ministry with and not to or for. And when we talk about people, do we talk about people experiencing homelessness, experiencing poverty, or the poor, the homeless? Let's think about how people would themselves want to identify. I'm going with the theme of people experiencing poverty tonight, but maybe people might be more comfortable if you talked about people on low incomes. I don't know, you have to ask them and find out. And I think it's really important to talk about people as individuals, not as a problem or as an idea. We are talking about people as individuals who are precious in God's sight, made in his image. The Lord will often use our service of people experiencing poverty to make us more like Jesus. But in serving people who are poor, that cannot make us more important or even necessarily more spiritual. Our importance simply comes from being made in God's image, just like them. But for us to be effective, we also have to know how much we're loved by God. Loving our neighbour as ourselves isn't easy if we have at some level rejected ourselves. God has created you. Sin and brokenness impacts all of us profoundly. But trust in his goodness in creating you. Have faith in his unfailing love to redeem you. So whether you are challenged by ego or self-esteem or a mix of both, constantly centering our lives on Jesus is vital to a flourishing ministry. So hopefully at this point we're all convinced that Jesus is massively concerned about people in poverty. There is a great blessing in serving those experiencing poverty and we all need the Holy Spirit's help to keep us centred on Jesus. Let's switch tracks now. We'll talk about the situation in the UK. Is there poverty here? Isn't it mostly over there? And if it is here, isn't it mostly their fault? whoever they are, is it different? Sometimes these thoughts can be whispers in our hearts and minds and we don't necessarily articulate them, but they can bring doubts. Let's look at some statistics about UK poverty and its impact. There can be lots of different statistics about poverty, but I find the easiest to understand is poverty relating to food. Last September, at the beginning of the cost of living crisis, research by the Food Foundation found that more than 18% of UK households said that they had reduced the size of their meals or skipped them altogether. 11% of households reported not eating despite being hungry, and 6% said they had gone a whole day without food. 
We know from research that households with children are much more likely to be in poverty than those without. Children of lone parents, the most likely of all. The children's charity Bernardo's said a fifth of the parents it surveyed had struggled to provide sufficient food for their children over the past year. The government's own statistics say 9% of all children in Britain experience food poverty. Proverbs 14, verse 31. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honours God. For many of us, these statistics will feel unbelievable. And that's because our worlds can be disconnected from some of the poorest communities surrounding us. Trust for London that states that in Lambeth, 16% of residents, that's around one in six people, are estimated to be earning below the living wage of £11.95 per hour, taking home less than the weekly living wage of £400 even after working a 40-hour week. How would you feel working full-time and managing on £1,000 a month? It's tough, isn't it? And it's important to recognise that poverty is experienced as a feeling. There can be hunger, there can be cold, but also overwhelming feelings of anxiety, powerlessness, lack of hope and despair. The mental health charity Mind says that poverty can be both a cause and consequence of mental health problems. Across the UK, men and women in the poorest fifth of the population are twice as likely to be at risk of developing mental health problems as those on an average income. There's a wonderful man called Joseph who we featured in our London City Mission Christmas video. Joseph had previously been on the streets and he now has his own home. He knows Jesus as his saviour and is also part of a loving church family. But when speaking about his experience of life on the streets, he said, and I quote, you feel like you are nothing, absolutely nothing. Society can be quite wary of people who are homeless. We can see rough sleepers as a threat. But during his time on the streets, Joseph said he saw stabbings, and heard of other rough sleepers being set on fire. At times he slept in an old phone box just to feel safe. One in 10 rough sleepers have been urinated on by a member of the public. A third have been kicked or kicked without provocation. Imagine living like that. How would that impact your mental health? The average life expectancy for a rough sleeper is about my age. 15% of deaths are from suicide. LCM missionaries working with people who are homeless will tell you that many become addicts after they begin living on the streets, just as a way of coping. And you have one of our LCM missionaries within your church family, Rob Hooks. Give us a wave, Rob. Hey. 
And Rob is an incredibly dedicated missionary. I'm going to embarrass you now, Rob. Uh, He works sharing the love of God with people who are homeless and also people within prisons. His ministry is tough. And he needs the support of his church family. I'd encourage you to sign him, find him afterwards. Get his prayer letter, give to his ministry, love and encourage him. Ask him for one of these. He's got them with him. Poverty has many faces. Homelessness is the more visible extreme. Poverty can often appear alongside huge social problems because when people experience poverty, it can make them feel hopeless and angry. I grew up in a very deprived area of inner city Liverpool. We topped the deprivation charts at one point. And recently, that area became eligible for extra funding to demolish and rebuild much of the area. My parents were both graduates from good universities. My dad read PPE in Oxford, and his dad was a banker in London. But they believed that if Jesus walked the earth today, the deprived inner city is where he would be. And so, as Christ's ambassadors, they decided, this is where we will be. So just on the street I lived in, just one street, someone was shot and killed, a car was blown up, a local politician was arrested with a sex worker, drugs were regularly traded, and I was assaulted as a young teenager. However, I always bumped into somebody friendly I knew at the local shop. There were always other interesting people in my house as well as my family. And as a child, I felt safe and at home in my local church. Following a fairly wild and self-destructive teenage rebellion, which started with me, angry at standing out from the crowd, desperate to fit in, smoking age 12, and went downhill badly from there, I eventually became a teenage single parent. I was on benefits, living in social housing, money was tight. On paper, it didn't look good, but I didn't feel poor. I was motivated. I was working part-time, I was doing a degree part-time, very involved with serving my church and community because having a baby boy to look after meant that by God's grace, I had finally surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, became committed to discipleship, learning how to build my life around following Jesus and dwelling in his presence. I had focus, I had a supportive, loving family But most importantly, I had hope. My son, now age 26, has just qualified as a chartered surveyor, which is wonderful, but it's his character, always leaning in to serve serve others, that I am most proud of. But this isn't the experience and the outcome for most single parents and their children coming from inner cities, and that's not because I am special. I have a proven high capacity for making daft choices. One of my closest childhood friends, Leanne, had her first baby age 16, but eventually lost the custody of all four of her children. I believe the difference isn't choice, but hope. And true hope is only found in Jesus Christ. 
For a couple of years, in my early 20s, I led an outreach team to sex workers in the red light district of Liverpool. Most of them had grown up in care. Most of them had children in care. Emotionally, both of these experiences are devastating, leading to deep shame and an unimaginable degree of relational poverty, living without much real love in life. All of them, when we asked them, how can we pray for you, would ask for prayers for their children, often with tears. One woman called Donna prayed with us over several weeks and she seemed to be open to hearing more about Jesus and she made it to rehab. We were so excited, but she left after a week. She said, who am I kidding? People like me can't change. That's just a dream. She felt worthless powerless and without hope. Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. In the UK, much of our poverty is accompanied by a devastating loss of hope. But hope is what we have as the people of God. And the most important statistic I'm going to share with you tonight is this. One in two, half of all Londoners don't know a Christian. This is our city. They don't know a Christian. They don't have a Christian friend. They don't have a Christian family member. They can't think of anyone they know who is a Christian. And our usual outreach models, bring a friend to Alpha, invite to the carol service, etc., etc. They're not bad or wrong, but they won't touch these people. Research called Talking Jesus found that university graduates are five times more likely to know a Christian than those without a university degree. Knowing a Christian means that they know somebody who can share their faith, encourage them to read the Bible, invite them to church. But people who don't know a Christian aren't evenly spread out. They're part of communities with very little Christian witness where Jesus Christ isn't known. And at LCM, we roughly group these people into five categories. London's children and young people growing up in a secular generation. People living on council estates, particularly isolated elderly people. Diaspora communities with their origin from elsewhere in the globe where there is little gospel witness. People who are homeless, sex workers, or who have been in prison. People following other religions, that's currently a quarter of all Londoners. One in eight Londoners are Muslim. These are the people our churches aren't touching with the hope of Christ. And unless we do something, it's unlikely that most of them will hear the good news of Jesus in a way they can understand during their lifetime. They are living in gospel poverty and they are right here on our doorsteps. That could mean it could be as much as one person every 30 minutes in London passing into eternity without hearing the gospel in their lifetime. Almost all of them will be the poorest people in this city. As the church, this is our responsibility. In some ways, this is a result of the general trend 
of the loss of gospel confidence amongst church social action projects or Christian charities. But we have such good news to share. The Holy Spirit is powerfully at work through the words of the gospel. Do we believe this? Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do everything I've commanded with you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When we look at the life and the teachings of Jesus, it's impossible to conclude that the social pattern of gospel poverty in the UK is right or that it doesn't matter. Jesus didn't come and die to start a religious version of a rotary club. The gospel is good news for the poor. And the and uh, his, I'm just going to read from Luke chapter 4, verse 17 to 21. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone on the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Hopefully now we are all convinced that economic and gospel poverty in the UK is a real problem and that it should matter to us as followers of Jesus. Now we get to the good bit. Now we look at solutions. I'm just going to grab a drink. And I've got seven solutions. So strap in, stay with me. It's going to be okay. The first solution, and you might have guessed this already, the first solution is this, prayerfully share the gospel. When we look at biblical narratives, we encounter God's heart for the poor, but we also can't escape people's primary need, which is salvation in Jesus Christ. If we try and serve people experiencing poverty without inviting them to follow him, we potentially do them the greatest disservice imaginable. If we try and invite people in poverty to follow Jesus, without standing with them practically in some way. Our words lack credibility and our actions lack love. At London City Mission, we come alongside churches to bring both a word and works approach. People's greatest need is true hope. The world around us would much rather see works and that we keep the glorious gospel to ourselves. Prayer is essential. This is ministry, not just activity. You may have heard the phrase, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. However, the Bible doesn't say this and it's highly likely St. Francis didn't say it either. So, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with words, is at the core of our purpose 
And we need to be prepared for that to be sacrificial and quite possibly scary. There is a reason that Paul wrote this in his letter to Timothy. For the spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Sharing the gospel won't happen by accident. We need to be intentional about this word and works approach, offering a combination of practical help and gospel hope, recognizing that receiving true hope is key to seeing people's lives really change. And it's important to say that the Bible doesn't ask us to serve in this way if we feel called. There's something here for everyone. Number two, give financially. Financial giving is another good starting point, but it's not an end destination. And the reason I'm not suggesting you start with prayer is that we are human and it can be very easy to procrastinate. Jesus had a lot to say about money and giving, and the Bible is really clear that it's one of the things that can massively get in the way of our relationship with God. Give prayerfully, give wisely, but give until you feel it. Once you start feeling it, I promise you, you'll have more motivation to pray and be interested in who and what you are giving to. Matthew 19, verse 21. Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. All of us are called to give. As a teenage single parent trying to get my life back on track with God, I was tithing my benefits, and that was a blessing to me. I desperately needed that discipleship in my life. Giving isn't exclusive. However, for some, giving above and beyond is a remarkable unseen ministry, and some of you here may be involved in that tonight. I've got the privilege to work alongside some of the most incredible donors to the work of London City Mission, people who earn significant sums of money but live fairly average, humble lifestyles so that they can invest in Christian ministry. Maybe that's your calling. Trust me, one of the regular headaches of any ministry is usually money. Number three, step out together. Ed was telling me about the HTC church plant, All Saints, on the Clapham Park estate, which is fantastic. We need so many more church plants on estates like this. Maybe some of you here are called to give to make a new church plant possible or to support the existing one. Maybe some of you are called to go. All of us are called to pray for the lost in our city. But before we look at more practical steps, I'd like to emphasize the vital nature of relationship and community in any ministry to people experiencing poverty.
alone, it's really hard. And it's not massively biblical. You can't give someone everything they need. You can't be their saviour. Only Jesus can fulfil that role. And often he uses his body, the church, to minister collectively. And that can be very true to those on the margins. It can't just be one or two. Our collective way of doing things as a a people needs to stretch, to accommodate, welcome and include those on the edges. Going out looking for ways to draw others in but aiming to do it together as a church. Number four, this leads on, looking out for those on the margins. So the practical need within the early church was open. Everyone was fairly uh, open about sharing that they didn't have food or they did have food, they needed food. But sometimes the need around us is hidden. People aren't that open. Maybe there are people in your local community who feel ashamed of their poverty and don't feel able to face church. People who've been made redundant often avoid church and the what do you do question from a friendly stranger. Rightly or wrongly, the church is often associated with the establishment and people can be wary. Building up relationships, building up trust, change takes time and it requires investment. Maybe there are people here in this church family who might not feel able to tell you that they're struggling and in need of help. Look around you. Get alongside people. Build build relationships. If we aren't intentional, our church life, in our church life, couples of a similar economic status gravitate together while others are left on the edges. How does our hospitality line up with Jesus' model of including the marginalised? Luke 14, 12 to 14. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and you will have been repaid in full. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Quite like the sound of that. Annie Odin, the LCM field director for the homeless and marginalised, was supposed to be speaking here tonight, and she's unwell, so I'm covering her. So you've had the B team here today. So my apologies if I've been looking at my notes a lot. If you'd like to hear more from Annie, please do jump onto the LCM uh, website. All of our missionaries, including Annie and Rob, have their own webpage, and you can sign up to hear from them through their regular prayer letters. But I'd like to tell you a story about one woman Annie got to know and maintained a friendship with for many years. And this woman was living a very deeply broken life. But through this friendship, she had been invited by Annie to her wedding. Years later, Annie saw her again. She'd been in rehab. She'd found freedom and forgiveness in Christ and she looked like a different person. 
She said to Annie, you were always so nice to me. I couldn't work it out. I kept wondering, what's the catch? And then I realized there is no catch. Number five, almost there. God's heart for those in poverty is to bring them into his loving family. Tim Chester in his book, Good News to the Poor, talks about poverty as not simply economic deprivation, but also in terms of social marginalization and powerlessness. Who do you know who that might apply to and how could you deepen your relationship with them? People's poverty is not simply related to the money in their bank account. Loneliness is endemic and relational poverty is huge. According to a YouGov survey, 7% of Britons have no close friends. I remember growing up and my family regularly having a bunch of people over for Sunday lunch or at Christmas. And two of them, both single people, Claire and John, had profound mental health challenges and attended local churches when they were well enough. My parents and others in the church gave them lifelong friendship and love. As part of the body of Christ, we needed Claire and John as much as they needed us. 1 Corinthians 12. I'm reading from verse 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Beautiful words. People from marginalized backgrounds aren't always straightforward to love, but the Lord is serious about his people being inclusive, united in the gospel. God's heart is to see the people you're reaching through your ministries being invited, welcome, and belonging here as part of your church family. Loving others well is what you're called to do, and this challenge stretches us and keeps us dependent on God. John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Number six, plan to help wisely. Mes McConnell in his book, The Least, the Last and the Lost, highlights that aid can be divided into three categories. Relief, rehabilitation, and development. And it's interesting to note that in the early church, after the apostles, the first dedicated roles in the church weren't worship pastors, building managers, people to do administration, or even youth workers, important though they all are, but deacons whose job was caring for those within the community 
who were otherwise struggling and needed support. The story I opened with, the Kenyan grandmother, Shosho Wairimu, was relief. She was in desperate need, and by God's grace, I provided cash. But this is relatively easy, and it gives you as the donor a nice feel-good moment. However, giving people cash should be avoided, as it can be incredibly harmful, except short-term and in real emergencies. Don't do this unless you have to. One of the things I realised, having been in Kenya a couple of years, it takes me a little while to catch on, is that when you give people stuff over time, it can disempower them. And that's one of the worst things you can do to somebody experiencing poverty. We are designed by our creator to be fulfilled by work. And it's so wonderful to see that many of your ministries, I had a look on your website, uh, seek to address the causes of poverty. And if you've been involved in any of these ministries, you'll know rehabilitation is harder. Our aim is to work with people to build them up, uh, empower them to take steps forward for themselves with support out of the situation that they're in. I was recently at a London City Mission Bible study with former prisoners. David shared his testimony and spoke about the devastating, chaotic abuse he'd experienced as a child, which included seeing his sister murdered in front of him when he was just seven years old. He had suffered from uncontrollable anger ever since. But he'd become a Christian in prison and was now serving an apprenticeship at a coffee shop that had come out of a partnership between London City Mission and another Christian organisation. Not long after the Bible study, something happened and David exploded, shouting and swearing at staff in the streets. But later, he had apologised and he was back at work. For David, that's a massive step forward. He's learning emotional self-control. He's learning to say sorry and receive forgiveness. For us as the church, serving people experiencing poverty needs to be primarily relational. The kingdom of God is about people, not projects, not tasks. People take time. And in our busy lives, with all of our competing priorities, that presents a considerable sacrifice and challenge. You have a fantastic breakfast club, Ed was telling me about it. You're running an alpha course and a Bible study, which is amazing. I'd encourage you to really consider how this is being set up to help people out of poverty and disciple those who might become believers. Rob would be a great person to talk to about that. How is this geared towards welcoming people into your church family? Maybe it is, I'm not sure. But full development leading to interdependency is the ultimate goal. People being invited, welcomed and supported to be full partners in any solution or ministry. In the Kenyan context, that meant my speaking to the village elder who gathered the grandmother Shosho Wairimu and a number of others like her who had no regular form of income and were caring for children. After discussion amongst themselves, they formed a registered self-help group. 
I then applied for funds for them from a Kenyan mobile phone company, which gave them a grant. They wanted to buy hardy dairy goats that they could use for milk. The village designed and owned their solution. <coughs> and the last one, and possibly the most challenging, developing a fully integrated church. So we talked about gospel poverty, communities where there is very little Christian witness and Jesus Christ isn't known. But when considering gospel poverty like this within a London City mission context, that means for us, we seek to employ people from the communities that we want to reach. Staff like Daniel with criminal records, now reaching the lost with the good news. Workers in our homeless day centre like John, who you know, don't you, Rob? John was homeless and addicted for 15 years. And he now burns with passion for Christ. We've got missionaries like Shale, who are converts from Islam and are now devoted to Jesus. Not all of our missionaries are from backgrounds like this. We employ a diverse range of Christians and we look for those who are gifted and called. It can be easier to employ graduates. Appraisals, project planning, objectives, and even email might feel like a second language to those from more marginalized backgrounds. But overall, we are massively more effective because of them. So I'd say, who's on a leadership path in your church? Who's able to influence? Who's represented? Who speaks? Encouraging, uh, you've got some fantastic mission partners listed on your website. How are you inviting them to shape your church culture? One of the best ways that we can meaningfully change things is to actively pursue raising up working class leaders on church leadership teams, not in a token fashion, but as full church leaders. An aversion for variety doesn't reflect a love for the one who created it. We need to celebrate the differences we have because of their beauty usefulness and because they are the work of our Father in heaven. Galatians 3:28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So to conclude, I'd like to say there should be no criticism or condemnation in this message. If you feel rubbish and you feel like you failed as a Christian, that's okay, we all have. And the good news is that it's never too late to do something. So in full recognition that we all need God's grace, if you feel convicted by God to act, then follow that invitation to align your life more closely with the heart of God. It is costly but deeply fulfilling. Your priorities will change, your faith will flourish and grow. Proverbs 19, verse 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. As we close, I'm going to invite you to reflect and pray. So I'd just like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. In a time of stillness, please seek the Lord 
Ask him for guidance in how he would specifically use your life. But also understand that he has given us more than enough to go on in the pages of the Bible. Open your heart to his call on your life. God's promise from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 58. And if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. I'd like to encourage you to make a fresh commitment today that your walk with the Lord will involve praying, giving and going to serve those who are experiencing poverty. It might be economic, it might be relational, it might be gospel poverty, sometimes all three. We are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus to serve the least, the last and the lost. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you care for us as your people. You are good and you have a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. We trust ourselves, our choices, our money, our time and our relationships into your loving care. We thank you, Lord, that your heart is for the vulnerable amongst us and they are precious in your sight. May we faithfully represent your heart to a broken and hurting world. We ask you, Lord, to use us for your kingdom's sake. Amen. As we close, I'd like to invite you, if you want to, no pressure, to discuss two or three things that have just jumped out at you with the person sitting next to you or maybe the people you came here tonight, or maybe your small group at a later date. Has God spoken to you today? What's he asking you to do? What are your next steps? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rachel. Well, why don't we take Rachel up on that challenge? Just turn to your neighbour for one or two minutes. If there's one thing particularly that struck you or... You've got a question or a comment um, from tonight. And then we'll have some Q&A in just a few minutes. And don't forget the QR codes if you've got any questions. Thanks, guys. If you can bring those conversations to an end. And maybe, um, like Rachel said, continue with them afterwards or in your small groups um, during the week or over Easter. But hopefully this is the beginning of a lot more conversation. Um, a couple of folk have sent in some questions already, so I'm going to read a couple of these off. If you have one, though, and you are happy to raise your hand, um, we've probably got time for a couple of those as well. Um, so actually, let's start with any from the floor. Is anyone burning to ask a question? Hey, Henry. Thanks, Rob. I, I work with children, and it can be children, but as we know, they don't talk about their choices. And... You know, we've had children at our school from different countries quite recently. So it's how you, how you open up that conversation without delving too deeply to, to help them. 
and having any organisations that we could help with our children's ministry here. If you've got any links, we can do something, like you say, action plan within our Sunday school to engage those children. So I, th I think your question is how we engage children talking about choices. Is that right? <laughs> Sorry, the question is um, really um, to help children. How could, do you know any... Do you, know, do you know any children's organisations we can link with to, um, to inform us as a, a Sunday school, but also to help them? Thank you. So, um, London City Mission, we have a number of missionaries who specialise in children's work. Uh, their specialism will be reaching those children that the church doesn't touch currently at the moment. So, if your children are in church already... Um, that's probably slightly different. Um, I would say we often work um, with Scripture Union. We, we partner with them quite a lot. We think they're great. Uh, I would say uh, the, the thing with children, it, don't underestimate their capacity for understanding and receiving the gospel. Uh, sometimes we can dial things down quite a lot for children, um, tell them a few nice stories, not really challenge them um, in their faith. And um, I'd say, yes, great, make it tons of fun, but don't be afraid uh, to share the gospel with them as well. Uh, the earliest, most, most people who become Christians receive Jesus before the age of 13. So um, that would be my encouragement. Is that answer your question? Okay, good. Thank you. Um, so when that was written in, Rachel was what is the best thing I can do for someone when I see or meet them in need on the side, on the pavement, uh, especially if they are asking for money? So I'm going to defer to the ex expert in the room, Rob Hooks. It's over to you. <laughs> okay, well, that's quite a common question because we come across uh, rough sleepers all the time, don't we? Uh, if we're going to work to the tube station or out for a meal with friends, um, and inevitably they're going to be, uh, there are some who will ask us for money, and we feel incredibly guilty um, by just walking by them. So I would say, you know, practically, there are some things that you could do if you have the time to stop and talk, talk with them. Um, if they are in immediate need and you're really concerned about their physical well-being, you can refer them to various outreach teams who are funded by the government to come and reach rough sleepers, mostly in the central London boroughs. Um, so you can download an app onto your phone called Street Link. And with Street Link, you can do a referral right there with the person um, on the street. And by doing that, when you describe the person where they'll be sleeping that night, one of the outreach teams will pick that up um, and they will go and see them and help them. You could point them to one of central London drop-in centers, like our center. I want to kind of big up Weber Street in Waterloo, where I work. Um, there's the Ace of Clubs, just around the corner here, off Clapham High Street. We have the Manor Center near, near London Bridge, so, so quite nearby. But I think relationally, I think it's really important that you um, are able to connect with someone who's homeless on a relational way of 
actually, if you pass by them on a regular basis, to actually take the time to stop and talk with them. It may mean actually sitting down on the pavement with them, if you're, you can bear to do that. And just listening to their story, I think that's really important. So there's more I could share, but I won't. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to do one more from here, and then we'll take one more from the floor in a bit. Um, actually, I'm going to lump two together because they okay. seem similar. Um, Rachel says, what would you say practically to someone who has concerns about inviting someone into their home for fear of whatever, whatever fears they might have to have a, um, a stranger in their home, and maybe safety things. Um, these fears are often unfounded, but can feel real nonetheless. And then linked to that is, what should I do if I feel uncomfortable around someone who is obviously poor? How would you speak into that? Um, I think, uh, as I said before, uh, sometimes marginalized people aren't straightforward to love and we need to plan to help wisely. Um, and sometimes it's appropriate to meet somebody in a coffee shop instead of having them into your home. That's still hospitality. I'd love to take you out for dinner. We're, we're heading into summer. You know, can I meet you in the park for a picnic? Um, there, there can be all kinds of things. Or there's a group of us having a picnic. Would you like to come? Have other people there if you're feeling concerned. Trust that feeling. Um, trust your gut. Uh, but don't let it stop you from helping find a way to work around it. Thank you. Um, and a very easy one as well, invite, is come to Breakfast Club on a, on a Tuesday morning. It's a great place to have a coffee or breakfast with someone. Thank you. Uh, um, while one more person thinks of a question, can I invite the band up to the stage, please? Thank you. So one more question before we close out. He's got it. Anybody? Here we go, thanks. Um, this actually is probably more a question for um, the leadership team here. Um, but for those of us here tonight who heard this and maybe feel like we've got a, a fire, a, a call, um, an idea, who should we talk to about that? And um, uh, yeah, who should we go to in the leadership team? I mean, I would love to hear what you have to say <laughs> <laughs> about anything. Like, um, great question. Um, I don't think anybody would turn you away, firstly. I think the person, the people who could probably be most um, helpful in bringing that to, to fruition, maybe, would be Rosie Jones, um, would be the lovely Joe Watling as well. Um, but but don't sit with it and say it's not it's not worth exploring or bringing or talking because something planted might grow and grow and grow and then be something that really is an exciting thing for us to dive into. So bring it. But I would say maybe those are your starting people. Yeah. Thank you. Great question. Thank you so much, Rachel. You're Let's hand over to the band. Thank you. Thank you.